Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to our 10 o'clock service. 10 o'clock service. Uh, um, Debbie's leading. I'm just going to give a few notices at the start. Okay. Um, now, if you're around last week, um, you'll know that Madeline uh, was taken ill during the service. Um, good news is that, is that she's home. She's feeling a lot better. And she wanted us to, Janet Hughes from the first service wanted us to uh, know that Madeline is a hu- saying huge thank you to your prayers and your best wishes um, this week. Um, there's a, a thank you card for Jeanette on the table in the foyer. Uh, it was out last week, so it's our, the last chance really to sign it this week because we're going to say thank you to Jeanette next week. So if you'd like to sign that, um, put a message on, please do before you go. Um, Mark says the uh, men's breakfast is on the 18th of February, Saturday the 18th, so men, please do sign up as quickly as you can for that because Mark needs to get that, get that organised. That's on the 18th of February, uh, I think it's an 8.30 start that morning. Uh, behind you on the doors there is the um, updated church directory. Please do check your entry. If it's not right, please correct it. If you're not on it and you want to be, please do write your name and address on it and then we will add you on to the church directory. We have a prayer meeting in church this evening at 7 o'clock. Everybody's welcome at that. It's called One Prayer. Uh, So at 7 p.m. in church, you are very welcome to come. We have a midweek communion service on Wednesday the 15th of this month at 10 o'clock in the foyer. Everybody's welcome at that. That's Wednesday the 15th. And Ash Wednesday is the 22nd of February. We have a 7 p.m. service in church that evening. Now, is Rachel Potts here? Rachel Potts, she's not here yet, no? Ah, because she's meant to be giving a notice, you see, so (laughs) she did say she'd give a notice. Um, Maybe she'll do that at the end of the service, so I'll try and remind her to do that at the end, if that's possible. Okay. All right, I'll hand over to Debbie now at the start of our service. Good morning, everyone. A very warm welcome from me um, as well. So um, the theme of our service is salt and light, and Peter's going to be speaking, particularly focusing on the grace that Jesus pours out on each of us. And um, so he will be speaking on that a little bit later on. Uh, Sue and Naomi are uh, leading sung worship for us. They've done very well to sort of step in. They haven't had chance for um, much of a rehearsal, but we're very grateful that they're um, doing that for us today. And I'm hoping as well that if Rachel is in the building, there's some activities um, at the back um, for children during the service. So particularly um, during the talk, if you'd like to go and do some fun things at the back, um, hopefully that will be um, available to you and perhaps we can have a little look at what you've done later on. So as we begin our time of worship together this morning, I'd like us to pray a prayer that's hopefully going to appear on the screen. There we are. Um, It's got some actions to go with it, and I'd like us, whether we're um, a little bit older or whether we're a little bit younger, it'd be great if everybody um, could join in the actions as a visible sign that we're here to meet with and to listen to our powerful and faithful God. So it might be best if you stand. 
So if we can stand together, that would be great. And it's all very self-explanatory. So let's just have a, a moment of quiet and then let's pray this prayer together. Lord, we are here to worship you. Would you meet us through your Holy Spirit? Teach us through your word. Show us where we need to change. And give us all we need to serve you in the world. Should we try that one again? Okay, and give us all we need to serve you in the world. For the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. And we're going to sing our praises to God now with our first two songs. So we're going to remain standing and sing together, How Great Thou Art and Light of the World.
And I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. We're going to spend some time now saying sorry to God for the things we've said and done this week or not said and done this week that have let him and others down. So let's have um, a moment of quiet and then if you can join in um, with the words in bold type as we pray together. God our Father, we are sorry for the times when we have used your gifts carelessly and acted ungratefully. Hear our prayer and in your mercy forgive us and help us. We enjoy the fruits of the harvest but sometimes forget that it is you that has given them to us. Father, in your mercy forgive us and help us. We belong to a people who are full and satisfied but ignore the cry of the hungry. Father, in your mercy, forgive us and helpless. We are thoughtless and do not care enough for the world you have made. Father, in your mercy, forgive us and help us. We store up goods for ourselves alone as if there were no God and no heaven. Father, in your mercy, forgive us and help us. And now may the God of love and power forgive us and free us from all our sins, heal and strengthen us by his spirit and raise us to new life in Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So um, the first part of our reading today is about living as salt and light. And so we're going to sing um, an action song now that talks about shining with God's love um, to those around us. It's one that hopefully will be familiar um, to quite a lot of you, but if you don't know it, it's quite easy to pick up. And the actions um, are going to be on the screen as well. So it's called Shine from the inside out. Please do stand to sing. Thank you. 
Yes, well done. I think you deserve a clap. They're quite fast, some of those, aren't they? So I was struggling to, uh, to keep up. Great. Okay, so um, Rachel, excellent. Are there some activities? Do you want to come and tell us? Um, so we're going to be talking about being the salt of the world and how salt is actually not white but clear and how God's light shines through us and just exploring how we can be salt and light to our neighbours and families and everyone around us. So you're going out to do that, or are you yes, staying going in? into the hall? You're going into the hall. Okay, yeah. let's pray for you um, and the children as you go. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Rachel. We thank you for um, each young person and child who's here this morning. And Lord, as they talk about being salt and light, I pray that you will fill them with your spirit, and that you will um, touch them and that they will be um, excited and enthusiastic to go out and to shine for you this week. We pray your blessing on them now. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, and as they go out and before um, Jacqueline comes to read to us, we're going to stand and we're going to sing again, There is a Redeemer.
The reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Apologies that the reading wasn't on the screen. Sorry, Aidan, that was my typo. I put 15 rather than 5 and checked with Jacqueline, but forgot to say to Aidan. So apologies for that. Let's pray for Peter. Father God, we pray for Peter now as he comes to speak to us. We thank you for the time that he spent this week listening to you as he's prepared this talk for us to hear now. And Lord, I pray that as he speaks to us, you will open our hearts and our minds to what it is that you want us to hear from you this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you are a God who speaks, and I pray that we will be attentive to hearing your voice. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you for praying, everybody. So Matthew 5, <clears throat> 13 to 20. And uh, here in Matthew 5, we've been airlifted, as it were, into the Sermon on the Mount. This is the greatest sermon preached, I would argue, by the greatest preacher who's ever lived, Jesus Christ. And I'm sure you know that any great sermon has three parts to it. Uh, first, you have an explanation. You've got to have someone who's explaining to you the principles, uh, the teaching, and trying to get across you know, the, the right way to live. And uh, we know, don't we, that what we, be, what we believe in affects the way we behave. So that's explanation. Secondly, a good sermon has to have illustrations or an illustration uh, because illustrations open up people's eyes, the eyes of their heart, the eyes of their mind. It just helps people to understand uh, the truth that's going on in, in a reading. And then application. You've got to make it relevant, relevant to people who are listening. Um, and this is what Jesus does, isn't it? Every time he teaches, he's applying it to people's lives. He knows what we're like. He knows our human nature. He knows that we're okay when we're talking about somebody else. 
and applying it to them. But when we start applying it to ourselves, that's when it gets a little bit personal and maybe a little bit painful. So Jesus always applies his teaching. So there's three parts to a great sermon, and Jesus does that, doesn't he? He's, he's put out um, the principles uh, of the new way of life or the life in the kingdom. We know them as the Beatitudes. They're in uh, the first few verses of chapter 5, the Beatitudes. And, and Jesus is talking about the, the upside-down principles of the kingdom of God, the way of living in the, in the kingdom of God. And he's talking about the way that you will be blessed if uh, you are poor in spirit, because yours is the kingdom of heaven. You are blessed if you are meek, because you will inherit the earth. You will be blessed if you are merciful. Merciful, you will be shown mercy. All of these are turning things upside down in the way that the world looks at things. This is how you uh, uh, achieve God's approval, his blessing, by living in that way. And then Jesus gives some illustrations to those principles. He then talks about salt and he talks about light. And he's talking about the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So these are his, if you like, illustrations for living those beatitudes out in your life. But I'm not going to focus so much on those initial verses. I want us to look particularly at the second half of the reading, verses 17 to 20. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll get to those uh, We'll look at those verses again now. Let me read them, in fact, to you again now. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will, be, will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus has given his explanation. He set out the Beatitudes He's given two illustrations, salt and light, of how that affects uh, that in a sense of illustrating the truth of what he's talking about. And then he's now going to give a lot of application, which is the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And he talks about murder, he talks about adultery, he talks about divorce, he talks about oaths, love for enemies, etc., etc. There's a lot of application that then Jesus goes on to talk about. But we mustn't skip over what Jesus says here about the law. As I was preparing this sermon this week, I was, I was reminded of a story of a little girl who went to visit her grandparents. And it seems as if, you know, they held the Lord's Day Sunday as very holy, very special. Uh, a, a day of quietness, a day not to walk, not to run, but to walk. Uh, a day when the Bible was the only book that was to be read the granddaughter was not allowed to go on the swing. Uh, the granddaughter was not allowed to go and gather flowers in the field or the garden. And so while her grandpa was taking a nap, she asked for permission to walk to the gate. And she got it. She had permission. And along the fence as she walked, she spotted an old mule standing with his head bowed and his eyes closed, 
And reaching through the fence, she said, Oh, poor old fellow, have you got religion too? Now, I fear this is how many people view Christianity. It, it, it is, we, it is, we're able, or Christians are able, or, or Christianity is able, as it were, to turn people off by legalism. Because legalism is, it is, it is quite easy for legalism to creep into our faith, I think you would agree with. Worst of all, perhaps, is that sometimes as Christians we can think that it is a virtue to be legalistic rather than a vice. And it's the vice or the, le- the evil of legalism that Jesus is addressing face-on in this, in this passage in, in Matthew 5, verses 17 to 20. He's facing this legalism on head-on. And let me just say, first off, and, and preachers often say this, but I, I really think this is true, this is a difficult passage to interpret. This is a very difficult passage to get anywhere near right. For example, how are we going to understand this verse that Jesus says, this saying, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Or maybe another one, if you didn't shudder the first time round, you may shudder the second time round as I read it. For I tell you, says Jesus, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa, hold on, Jesus, this is a bit much, isn't it? How are you expecting us to do that? Well, I can safely say I'm not going to solve the puzzle for you this morning because theologians have been puzzling over this for the last 2,000 years. But this is the grace of God that I want to emphasize this morning, the grace of God as a result of all that Jesus has done for us on the cross. That's what I'll emphasize. What do I mean by that? There's a tension between law and grace that exists. And so you may have heard some well-meaning Christians say something like this. It doesn't matter what I do, because I'm under grace, not the law. Have you ever heard, you may have even said it yourself, It doesn't matter what I do because I'm under grace, not the law. In other words, some people have got the the wrong idea that since Jesus came, the law, which I'll explain in a moment what that is, has been done away with. You know, it's it's, it's almost as if God has put a big red cross through the the Old Testament and said, well, that's that's out of date now. That doesn't apply anymore. It doesn't apply to me. It doesn't apply to the church. Well, maybe apart from the Ten Commandments. You know, the Ten, Ten Commandments are good because you know, we like those, but we'll let those through. But the rest of it, no, we don't worry about that. And yet Jesus plainly and clearly says that, he, that, that the law is to be fulfilled, that he is going to fulfill it. Do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. Now, Three questions I want us to think about this, this morning are on this passage. What is the law? How does Jesus fulfill it? And what does this mean to you and to me? That's, a, that's the application bit. So what is the law? How does Jesus fulfill it? What does it mean to you and to me? So what is the law? Well, the law in the Old Testament can mean three things. Generally speaking, three things. It can mean, yes, specifically the Ten Commandments. 
You know, the, the ones that most people have heard of, at least if they've never heard, don't know them specifically. They've heard of the Ten Commandments, the famous moral code. Do not commit murder, do not commit adultery, etc., etc. That that can mean the law. Secondly, it could mean the Pentateuch. Now, the Pentateuch is the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That is the Pentateuch. Sometimes that is known as the law. Or it could mean the law and the prophets. In other words, that simply means the whole Old Testament. Okay? So any of those meanings is what Jesus is referring to when he says, do not think... I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, a fourth meaning of the law is the scribal law or the oral law. And that is the law that both Jesus and Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, is talking about and have a problem with. We know, don't we, if you know the Old Testament uh, very well, you'll know that the, the Old Testament has got a lot of rules and a lot of regulations in it, especially the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And we know, don't we, that in the Pentateuch, if you break a law, you're in trouble. That if you break that, that there's a, there's a, a severe penalty for breaking those laws. Just look at the laws in Leviticus or Numbers or Deuteronomy, and you'll see that there are very, very harsh penalties for breaking those laws laws. And in fact, if you look at Deuteronomy 28, there's a whole chapter on it. If, you want to, if you're feeling strong later, look at Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 28. There's a whole chapter of curses for disobedience. But that wasn't enough for the people who taught the law in Jesus' time, because they were called scribes and Pharisees. And if you know your, old, your New Testament, you'll know that Jesus has got a problem with scribes and Pharisees. Why? Because for the scribes and the Pharisees, it wasn't just enough to say that there was an explicit rule, there was also an implicit rule. Not just an outer rule, there's also a hidden one. So, out of the law, the scribes said it is possible to deduce a rule for everything. For example, and um, A great Old Testament principle is this. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That is a great principle. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That is a principle, not a detailed commandment. So what the scribes did, and the Pharisees and the the teachers of the law said, okay, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. How do we keep the Sabbath holy? Well, by not working. But what is to work? Well, to work is to carry a burden. Well, then what is a burden? I'm glad you asked. So on the screen, you'll have, um, next slide, Amy, a definition, a rabbinic definition of a burden. Okay? So the the scribes came up with this definition. This is what a burden means to the scribes. Okay? Less than a burden is food equal to a dried fig, enough wine to fill a goblet, milk enough for one swallow, as in when you swallow in your throat, honey enough to put on a wound and enough oil to anoint a small part of the body. Okay? So if you are a Jew, in the time of Jesus, this is what you were meant to obey by a burden on carrying a burden on the Sabbath. So they spent literally hours arguing about whether a man could or could not lift a lamp from one place to another. Or whether a tailor committed a sin 
if he went out with a needle in his robe. Or whether a woman might wear a brooch or false hair. Or even if a man might go out on the Sabbath with artificial teeth or an artificial limb. Okay? This is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. But this, is the, this was their essence of religion. This is what a religion was about. Petty rules and regulations. But then Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says there's a different way, a very different way to obey God's commands and laws. And so he says, you have heard that it was said, but now I say to you. And then he interprets, reinterprets the law on murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, loving our enemies and giving and so on and so on. But it all comes back to that very difficult verse, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill them. So, let's ask the second question. How does Jesus fulfill the law? I think you'd agree with me that if we were left on our own, to our own devices, we would never please God. We just know it by plain experience. By our very own experience, every single day, we've just got to get up in the morning and lose your temper at the cat, lose your temper with the postman, lose the temper with your spouse or your child, or so on and so on, and you've already broken a ten, one of the Ten Commandments because it love your neighbour as you love yourself. You've already broken what Jesus says. So we can't do it on our own. We are inherently unable to satisfy God's requirements for holiness and purity. We just can't do it. And that is exactly why the law is given in the first place to Moses in the Old Testament. One, is the re- one of the reasons it's given is to show us we need a saviour. And so Paul, who, again, as I say, wrote a lot of the New, of the New Testament, he was, one, he was a Pharisee. Before he was converted, he was a Pharisee. In fact, he called himself a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And then he met Jesus with that amazing encounter on the road to Damascus, and Jesus changes him from the inside out. And he realized that for all his careful keeping and studying of the law, he needed a savior. He needed Jesus. And so he writes in Galatians 3.19, Well then, why was the law given? It was given to show people how guilty they are. I think probably you've had that experience yourself. I've had it. Now you're driving along the road, minding your own business, maybe going a little bit fast, and all of a sudden, your windscreen mirror, you see a little blue light flashing. Now, I'm not saying I've done this myself necessarily, but you've probably had a similar experience of you've been driving along, and all of a sudden, you think, oh my goodness, there's a police car on the other lane coming alongside me. What speed am I going? Look at your speedometer. Oh, am I going a little bit fast, better slow down. And what's happening is your conscience is kicked in. And gulp, you suddenly feel a little bit guilty. Oh my goodness, I'm probably going a little bit fast. The police are here. I better slow down. So this is the law, you see. This is what the, the, the law is to make you realize how basically bad we are. Do you ever feel like that? Is it just me? I don't know, it's just me. But <laughs> I'd imagine you probably felt like that from time to time. The law makes you realize you're in the wrong. That's the point of the law. And so Jesus says something else that's breathtaking. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness, your holiness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And so you see, Jesus hasn't lowered the bar, he's raised the bar higher. But the amazing thing and the liberating thing is that we need to understand that Jesus has fulfilled the requirements for us. He has kept, he's, he's kept the Ten Commandments. Every single of the Ten Commandments he's kept for us. He is perfect. He's holy. Therefore, we can be holy. And that begins to get where, to where Jesus is talk, what Jesus is talking about. We can't satisfy the law ourselves. We can't do it. And yet Jesus has done it for us. He has kept the law perfectly for us. Peter the Apostle says in 1 Peter, he says, Jesus committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And so that leads us to the final question. What does this mean for you and for me? Jesus has accomplished everything that the law demanded by dying on the cross for us, for you, for me, and for everyone. And that means when we give our lives to him, when we say yes to him, we've no fear of being punished for our inability to please God by living a sinless life. That, that guilt is taken away because Jesus has fulfilled the law for us. And so it's, it's, it's this law and grace. So grace means that we don't have to fulfill the law because Jesus has done it. Therefore, we can live a free life. We can live a life where we, are, we don't deserve it, but Jesus makes us whole. He makes us free because God has done it for us. Only by grace can we enter. Only by grace can we stand. You see, it's all because of Jesus. That's what he's done for us. And he alone is able to pull us out of that mire of sin and shame that we've got ourselves into. And because he has done it for us, we are now free to live for him. Because we want to. Because we love him. Because he loves us. And out of his love for us, we love him. And we can live that life of gratitude that our sin and shame has been dealt with. As I come to an end, let me put it to you like this and try and think of it this way. There's a husband and a wife and they don't really love each other. And, and the man is very demanding, quite bullying, and, and, he's, and he, he lays out this list of rules and regulations for his wife to follow. And he insists that his wife follows these rules and regulations every day. She reads them every day and follows them every day and that she obeys them to the letter. And among other things, his do's and don'ts indicate such details as, well, what time she is to get up in the morning? What time his breakfast is to be served? How the housework should be done? Etc. After several long years, the husband died. And as time passed, the woman fell in love with another man, one who clearly loved her. And soon they got married. And the husband did everything he could to please his wife, to make his wife happy. And he showered her with, with gifts and tokens of his love and appreciation. And one day as she was cleaning the house, she found tucked away in a drawer the list of commands and rules that her first husband had drawn up for her. And as she looked it over, 
it dawned on her that even though her present husband hadn't given her any kind of list, she was doing everything her first husband's list required anyway. She realized she was so devoted to, that man, to this man that her deepest desire was to please him out of love, not obligation. And that, my friends, that gets towards the truth of this free, the free gift of grace that is open to you and to me today because of Jesus. So let's pray. Father, as we sit here and as we mull this over in our minds and in our hearts, that you have done it all. You have fulfilled the law. You have fulfilled the commandments. You have fulfilled all the requirements of the law for us. And when we turn to you, you give us, you pour upon us your grace and your love so that we can live free, freely out of that grace and out of your love in this world to shine for you as salt and light. Help us, Lord, to marvel at the extent and the one of your love for us and of your desire that we should live out of that love each and every day. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you call us to live for you. In your name. Amen. Now, to help us to dwell on that a little bit more, um, we're going to have some quiet for reflection and and prayer. And uh, we're going to have a song called This Is Our God. And uh, I just encourage you to use this time to be quiet with God and reflect with him and thank him for his grace in our lives and help us to live out of that grace. Thanks, Aidan.
going to spend some time praying together now and um, our intercessions today are going to be based on the Apostles' Creed. Um, so how this is going to work, there'll be um, a section of the creed that's going to come up on each slide. So if we could read that together at the start and then I will pray a prayer that goes with that um, and then we'll move on to the next, the next slide and the next part of the creed. Okay, so let's pray together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Father God, we thank you for the world that you have made. We praise you for the wonder and majesty of your creation and the attention to detail we see displayed. We stand in awe of you, mighty God, and we ask that you will help us to care for the world you have made. We pray that there will be a consensus among world leaders and all those with power and influence to make lasting changes that protect our planet and honour you as its creator and sustainer. Also, Lord, help us all to play our part by making environmental choices that reflect the stewardship that you call each of us to in our daily lives. Amen. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended into hell. Father, we thank you for Jesus and for his love for all people. We thank you that in the person and humanity of Jesus, we see that nothing we can ever go through is removed from your understanding. We thank you that Jesus felt joy, grief, sorrow, delight, pain, elation, rejection and hunger. We thank you that he wept, laughed and enjoyed time with family and friends. Father, we pray for all those who are suffering and feel alone. We pray for those who are bereaved, those who are depressed, those who are ill, and those who experience constant physical pain. Loving Jesus, draw near to each one, we pray, and enable them to feel the depths of your love and compassion for them. Amen. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. Father, we thank you that because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have hope. 
We thank you that sin, suffering and death no longer have the last word. We thank you that you are a God of justice and righteousness and we pray for all those areas of the world where injustice, persecution, famine and disease are rampant. In a moment of quiet, we lift to you a country or a people group that are particularly on our hearts. Lord, may justice and righteousness flow like a never-ending stream into these places and lives. Amen. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Father, we thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit living in us, and we pray that we will experience more and more of this each day as we love and serve you and seek to love and serve others. We pray for your church across the world that it will be effective in reaching out with your love and grace in sharing the hope of Jesus with those who feel hopeless. We pray for your church here in Baston Hill, that we will be listening to you and hearing and responding to your voice as we seek to love and serve our community. Help, us, help each of us to be beacons of light and hope where you have so carefully placed us. Amen. The forgiveness of sins the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Father, we thank you that because of Jesus we are forgiven and can live in the grace and freedom that that brings. Show us where we need to forgive others and help us to be accepting of those who are different in their views and personalities. Help us to live lives that reflect our eternal destiny by storing up treasure in heaven rather than concentrating all our efforts on storing up earthly ones. Help us to live lives that are open to blessing others and help us not to cling tightly to what we have but to be willing and eager to share our time, talents and resources with others so that you may be glorified through us. We ask all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, I think we've um, had some people come back in. Um, do you want to come and show us what you've been doing while you've been out? Do you want to come up here? Right, come and show us. 
So we were talking about Jesus being transfigured on the mountain into white light from all the rainbow colors and how we can be the same when we're salty. So we have some lovely ideas of how we can be salty in the world. Um, so we have... Do you want to share? Okay. So we have kindness. We have peace. We have happiness. We have being nice. We have... Respectful. Um, what else do we have? Do you want to read any of your track? So we have thoughtful. Uh, positive and generous. Um, so they've been really thoughtful in the way that they've um, thought about what they're going to be in the world this week in their schools, at the beach, in the sky. Lots of thought, lots of creativity. So let's give them a clap. Thank you, that's great. Let's continue um, to pray for them uh, this week. So we're going to have our final hymn now, and it's And Can It Be? So please do stand and sing together.
Amen. And now a blessing to end our time together this morning. Let's say together to one another. Let the majesty of the Father be the light by which you walk. The compassion of the Son be the love by which you walk. The presence of the Spirit be the power by which you walk. Amen. And now go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you.